Today's guest is Kim Scholender. Kim is a teacher and counselor in Canada, and she specializes in trauma-informed practice work for young people. Now, Kim began this work at a fairly young age, so she had to navigate through quite a bit of ageism, not from her students, but from her peers and managers. Her story is a really inspiring one of persistence, but also of belief in herself. And you're going to hear a number of great tips and takeaways about navigating workplace discrimination and drama. You're listening to The Inspired Wave, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week, you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact. And together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Okay, well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. We have a great interview planned. You just heard a little bit about Kim, and I'm excited to get started. Welcome, Kim. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So to start us off, could you just tell everyone where you are calling in from and anything else it might be fun for us to know before we get into your story? Sure. So I'm from Victoria, BC in Canada. And I, yeah, I have a dog and he is the best thing in the whole wide world. And his name's Duke and he's, he might make an appearance today (laughs) if he tends to stroll by the camera. (laughs) We love our four-legged friends. I usually have a cat Zumba, my appearances. (laughs) So it's all good as long as they don't both go after the screen at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So take us back, you know, you have a career obviously in education. What point did you decide that this was a calling for you and decide to pursue it? Yeah. So I actually started out in theater and thought that I was going to be an actor. And I did one year of acting and realized that the general vibe and feel of acting and performance weren't really things that I was invested in or interested in. I realized that I wanted something that had more of a social impact. And so at the same time, I was taking courses in theater for social justice and was really finding that that was speaking to me a lot more that I really wanted theater that could empower and enrich and could involve people in a more meaningful way rather than just as entertainment. So one of the best ways that you can teach other people how to do that is by becoming an educator and making sure that people can see theater for more than just a main stage production. So that's why I went into education. And then shortly after I went and did my master's in counseling psych, because I was really keen on implementing things like psychodrama and drama therapy in my classroom so that students have a space where they can explore really meaningful work in a theatrical way, in a way that's also safe and responsible. Wow. So I'm sorry, your advanced degree, did that focus on theater? On drama therapy. So I did counseling, but I focused all of my research and my thesis and everything on drama therapy for young people. 
Fascinating. I'm not sure that that's something I was familiar with, but I'm going to go look it up after this. <laughs> so then after you got your master's, what direction did you go in? So I started, I was already teaching when I started pursuing my master's. And so I was teaching in a custody center for young people. So it was a youth detention center. So I was working with incarcerated young folks, primarily young men, but occasionally young women as well. And then our custody center here in Victoria closed. And so then I went into teaching young women who were struggling with addictions and who were pregnant and parenting and who were dropping out of a mainstream high school. So I was working in alternative education. So meeting the needs of young people who couldn't find success in a mainstream school for a variety of reasons or who had been expelled or just unable to attend. And now I've found my way back into like a mainstream school. And as you were working with them, was it with, with drama as therapy or because I pictured you as a counselor, what did you do with these young people? Yeah. So I was both teaching and counseling in these environments and I was doing drama therapy. And also for young folks who couldn't attend school physically due to severe addictions or severe mental health, I would meet them in community and work on reintegration plans for them to come back to school. So a lot of that was counseling work. Wow. Okay. Wow. It must have been partly sad, I would think, but also really rewarding. What was your... I know that you mentioned some struggles with the environment that you found yourself in coming out of out of uh, college. How would you... Why don't you describe that to us and tell us about some of the challenges you had as well as the positive experiences? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I felt kind of called to this work. So that's part of the reason that I was able to pursue it, I think, at such a young age. Because I started teaching my first teaching contract in the custody center. I was 21 years old. My very first teaching practicum, I was 20. And I've been teaching and working as a counselor ever since. And so when you start off that young and you're working in such, I guess, high risk and intense environments, you can be met with a lot of resistance and a lot of a lot of challenges from other folks who see that it has to look a certain way because there's this assumption that when you work with vulnerable young people that you have to be strict and you have to have these really intense kind of rules otherwise these young folks are going to walk all over you and they don't necessarily perceive that a young person such as myself could have set those kinds of boundaries in a meaningful way and not just be taken advantage of and walked all over. And the interesting thing for me is that I'm not a strict person. I have never found that to be my best approach in navigating relationships with students and that building relationships and having a sense of humor and being easygoing and compromise and negotiation are all much more effective for me. So as I'd employ a lot of those strategies, I'd face a lot of criticism for oh, well, you know, they're using you, you know, they're taking advantage of you. And the irony of it is, is that these older colleagues of mine who'd have these criticisms, that's exactly what they were doing by imposing those criticisms. They're using me as a pawn to, you know, be able to enact what they think this education system has to look like. They're kind of saying, oh, if you're going to be the next generation of what this alternative education looks like, it has to look this way. 
Mm. As opposed to, oh, well, actually it can look a lot of different ways and it has to look the way that's best for you and for your students. And the students, on the other hand, I certainly never felt walked over. And I certainly never felt as though I couldn't, you know, have whatever control that is needed in those spaces. I didn't feel like I was ever out of control or that I didn't have respect or feel valued in that work. So navigating that as a young woman was challenging for sure. And interestingly enough, not challenging from the students. Yeah, that is interesting. It's so funny. People, well, the majority of the population really do not like change. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they feel threatened by it. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting too. I mean, as you're describing your approach versus maybe the old school approach, it strikes me as very similar to old styles of parenting Mm -hmm. versus the newer embrace styles, you know, Mm -hmm. as we shift more toward, uh, you know, relationship based versus authoritative. But I mean, it just, we see it everywhere in society. People don't like change and they feel threatened by it. Mm-hmm. It's too bad. And yet if we, I mean, one of the benefits of having diversity in the workplace are these new fresh ideas to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Change takes a while. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you navigate that? Or did you have to, other than, you know, ignoring some of the criticism, I guess we'll call it. I mean, my approach to how I navigated those kinds of situations changed over the years because it's not like, you know, you hit an age and then it stops. It's like, you know, I have gone into these different fields or different workplaces, I should say, different environments and then faced it all over again, just in different ways. And so in this first context, the first time I was experiencing this, for me at that point, it was actually easier to just nod and smile and say, you're totally right. And then go into my classroom and do what I was going to do anyways. And just kind of, you know, let them feel as though they, because like you said, it is a fear of change and also that fear of losing control. And when you think that you're going to not be able to do things the way that you're used to, or that you're job or the way that you do your job is in jeopardy, of course, you're going to feel anxious about it and you're going to respond in a way that maybe isn't the most helpful all the time. And so in that situation, it was actually just much easier for me to say, yes, thank you. And then go about my business, <laughs> which isn't wasn't true for every environment that I entered, unfortunately. I see. So you made it through those first experiences. What a breath of fresh air. I am sure the students responded very well to that because, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody likes to be controlled and feel like they're just being breathed on by this overwhelming authority. I would think that they responded very well to that. And Mm -hmm. so what was your next experience? Yeah. So the next place that I ended up working was in a school for predominantly young women who were pregnant and parenting or experiencing any number of things, moderate to severe mental health things that would prevent them from coming to a regular mainstream school. And interestingly, I worked with all women. And so it was a unique change of pace because the custody world was pretty much all men. And this world was pretty much all women, was all women. And so I had kind of made the assumption that I wouldn't run into the same issues when I started working at this other place. 
And I didn't in terms of the sexism component, but I certainly did in terms of the ageism component because I had just started, like I just finished up my master's degree or had was nearly finished. And my supervisor, who was the principal at this school at the time, was retiring at some point in the future. There was no definitive date of retirement. And I'd been offered this other job outside of this school. And so I went to my boss and said, hey, I've been offered this other job. I would like to stay here, but I also need to know that there's room for growth for me here. Mm -hmm. And I was told, well, you're the next in line to be the principal. And as soon as this principal retires, we're hoping to groom you so that you can take over for her. And that just is the logical next step. You've got a master's degree. You've worked in all dead already for several years. You're the logical person for this role. And I said, okay, great. So I turned down this other job. I stay at this one. Principal retires early and I'm passed over for the promotion because I'm too young to take it. And I was told, well, you just don't have the experience yet. Mm-hmm. But the irony is, is that they hired somebody who had zero experience in alternative education, but had many years of experience in education. And so when this new person came in, she didn't understand how we don't actually have deadlines for anything because these kids are extremely vulnerable and can't actually attend school every single day. And so there were all of these new hurdles to overcome with somebody who actually was unfamiliar with how we did things. And yeah, so, you know, in that case, like, Well, what do you do? You know that the only reason that you didn't get the job was because of your age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Putting in the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even though you might be the most qualified person, you might have, you know, the most experience, you might know how things are run inside and out. You have been doing the work, basically. You've been shadowing the person who you'd be taking over for, preparing for that that promotion. And yet just simply because of the number on your birth certificate or like, you know, the fact that you were born on this year instead of this one, you aren't, you aren't. I know that this stuff goes on all the time. We were just talking before I hit record about how typically you hear about it on the other side and it can Mm -hmm. start pretty, what I consider pretty early in Mm -hmm. age. It's like, there's this sweet spot when it's okay between 30 and 40, when you don't have some kind of ageism potentially rearing Mm. its head, or we'll say 30 to 50. Um, And outside of that, you really can be navigating, yeah, some challenging situations. Mm -hmm. So what, I assume you eventually left there then, because I did. I did. Yeah. So You know, I maintained a really good relationship with that employer and I still respect the work that's being done there. And it was just clear that, you know, I was looking for ways to advance. I was looking for ways to continue to build on my experience because I had already done quite a bit and that wasn't going to be the place where I would be able to do that. And so that's why I ended up back in the mainstream system because I was offered a full-time job where I was department head of theater and I could kind of do with it as I pleased. There were opportunities for me to take on counseling blocks within the school. And of course, there's always room to grow in the school district when if you decide that you want to go into administration or whatever. So it just was the logical kind of next step for me and made the most sense at the time. And you know, you think that going into a large mainstream 
school, you are not going to run into those issues in the same way as you do in other areas. Mm -hmm. And has it been pretty... I know you're there now. I'm not sure you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like you still, of course, you still run into things. And I think this is what I was saying before about how as you get older and people will, will continue to have these assumptions about you, particularly if you are young looking or if you're new in a new place and you're younger still, then you're going to kind of run into these things each time. And each time you run into it, it gets more frustrating and your patience for it decreases, right? You just, you don't have room for it anymore where you say, okay, how many years, like at what point does it stop? And like you said, there's this sweet spot where you can get to, and do you really have to keep buying time? Like, is that before people are going to see you as being able to be competent and professional? I certainly did run into some issues when I started in the mainstream system. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of you don't know what you're doing. You're too young for this job. You know, if you take over for somebody who retired, they're leaving behind a legacy after they've been there for a long time. And so then it's the assumption that you couldn't possibly fill their shoes. You don't know what you're doing. You've never had a program this size before. So, you know, we don't trust that you can come in and take it on. But the reality is, is that, you know, you can, if you've been offered this job, if you've been given this job, the reason is because you're the best fit for it. And you still have to interview for these positions. Yeah. Yeah. I think in many, many work environments, there are the people who hire you and believe in you and hopefully will support you. And then there are, if it's a larger organization, mm -hmm. there's other people looking on who, you know, almost are just waiting and wanting to see you, you know, a misstep because you are mm -hmm. not that other person mm -hmm. that they were buddies mm -hmm. with for so many years or whatever. And it's unfortunate and it's not everybody. Some people I know can be really warm and supportive mm -hmm. and welcoming, but it is the variety of humans that we have to be able to work with when it's mm -hmm. a larger environment. Or even if it's a small environment, there can be that variety of challenging personalities, can't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is, you know, you had mentioned before where you see ageism on the other side of the spectrum too. And in this case, there was, I was getting quite a bit of pushback from one of my colleagues who was, you know, very good friends with the person who I'd taken over for. And a lot of the complaints that I was hearing was that it was because I was too young for this position and I didn't know what I was doing. And then when it came time to actually address this formally, because it was getting, it was getting to be the point of, of workplace harassment. So when we addressed it formally, I was getting questioned constantly about whether or not the reason I couldn't get along with this person was because of their age. And I had other colleagues in the building who were of the same age who I'd become very fast friends with mm -hmm. and was working very collaboratively with. And yet this person who had specifically indicated that it was my age that was the problem hmm. wasn't getting questioned about why that would be. But I was being questioned about, well, have you ever made connections with other people that are this age? Are you seeing this person as less competent because of their age? I'm like, no, they're great at what they do. I'm not questioning that at all. And yeah. so it was this really ironic back and forth between the two where you know we do see what happens at the other end of the spectrum, but don't always acknowledge what it's like for young mm -hmm. women who are entering a profession. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, if you are in an environment with that variety of ages, mm -hmm. you will definitely see it, 
especially on the younger end, I would think. If you've been somewhere a while, you may not get it as much on the older end. Mm -hmm. It's when you're new <laughs> or trying mm -hmm. to get in mm -hmm. person that it comes up. I think when you're shifting yeah. gears, it can be a yeah. problem. So you started, I mean, you took on some big assignments at a young age mm -hmm. and hit some roadblocks. What mm -hmm. would you tell young women with big dreams who might be listening to this or, or you know, big visions or already in the thick of things, hitting a brick wall like mm -hmm. you have experience with? What would you well, these are the intersections that we come across, right? Where I still hold a lot of privilege as a white woman, but I still have the intersection of being a young woman. Mm -hmm. And so when you are young and when you are a woman, not only are you faced with what kinds of sexism you're going to face regardless because of being a woman, but you're now also met with the added challenge of being considered an incompetent woman because of your age. And so the biggest thing is that when you get into these spaces, and it's funny because a lot of these spaces are dominated by men. And so in teaching, it's dominated by women, but the authority roles and the power positions are predominantly men. Like most administrators are men, most uh, superintendents and people on the school board are going to be men. And it's the same in the counseling world. You know, most counselors are female, but most people of power are men. So the people who do the hiring and the, you know, all of these team leads and things like that, they are predominantly men. PhDs and doctorates are predominantly men. Same thing in theater, you know, actors, it's predominantly women, but then the people who do the hiring, the higher ups and the positions of power, the directors, producers, all of that stuff are predominantly men. And so we are constantly kind of in this position of having to fight to have our voices heard and acknowledged for more than just how we present and to not just be seen as this young woman who is just there that we have, we also have ideas we also have competencies and skills and a host of lived experience that you know like who is anybody i have teenagers who have lived more life than i will ever live yeah and it's not up to me to say that I'm the person who has all of this knowledge simply because I have some years on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the shift has to be. And that's where we can, as young women and as women in general, we can start to hold that space and say, like, we have something to offer and age is irrelevant to what it is that we have to offer. I think an important concept here to reiterate, because you are a very smart and driven and I would say self you come across a self-confident woman. And I think the challenge is so many, so many women are more reserved and doubt themselves. Mm -hmm. And gee, if this person in authority is saying this, maybe they're right. Mm -hmm. Or who am I to think differently? I think that could be almost the bigger challenge versus, you know, facing that authority, those authorities who mm -hmm. are, are being challenging, facing that inner voice, mm -hmm. because you have to believe in yourself and be willing to share your voice and speak mm -hmm. up, create boundaries and fight for yourself. And find different ways to speak up too, because for folks who are battling that inner voice and who might feel that they're more reserved and not able to hold space the same way, there's other ways to do that too. So 
kind of like I said, when I first started out and it's just nod and smile and say, you're totally right. And then do what you're going to do anyways, because your ideas are valid and meaningful. And at some point, if you do them and people see the outcome, then what are they going to say? What could they possibly say to dissuade you from continuing to do that work if what you're doing is working? Right. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, I keep hoping there'll be a shift in work cultures and, you know, being open to new voices and innovation Mm -hmm. and not as much resistance to change because that's what it is. If you Mm -hmm. have fresh ideas, some people will embrace it and some people won't. And so not to take that personally, but also not to give up on being you. Mm-hmm. Unique. What you know in your heart is the way you were meant to serve. That's I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from this conversation is you did not let any of this dissuade you. You didn't, like you were confident enough or knew enough about what you'd learned in all of your years of schooling to be confident that you didn't have to second guess yourself. You know what you're doing and sometimes there's just going to be dissenters and cranky people that want to kind of not support you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in your success, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. We'd all like to, you know, I always like to be the mentor that would help and support Mm -hmm. and pull people along. But I think it's also the self-confidence of that other person. Even, you know, if they're coming across as assertive, that doesn't mean, you know, a lot of times they have their own doubts and they need to push other people down and have that control Mm -hmm. to make themselves feel okay. I think mm-hmm. so. And that's that's huge. Yeah. And that kind of helps not to put up with them, but it kind of helps relate a little better to some of those cranky pants mm-hmm. because they've got their own issues. As you say, mm-hmm. age does not necessarily mean they have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And every single person that we work with have their own challenges they're working through, whether it's in their head or at their home or in the office with the rest of the team. So understanding that and frequently it's not even about us. It's more about them when they get Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Well, and we also have to be mindful too, you know, particularly, you know, young women have to be mindful that there is still a lot to learn. And so it's not just about coming in 100% on fire to say, this is, I'm going to shake things up and it's going to be different. It's being humble about what it is that you know, and also knowing that there's a lot that you don't know. And the more you know, the more you don't know. Yeah. Oh, isn't that true? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. And so just being really like coming in, feeling, you know, that you have a lot to offer, but that you're also willing to keep growing in that position is, I think, kind of the line that you have to walk and is the balance to come in confident and say, I can do this job as it is. And I am ready and I am competent, I'm knowledgeable. And I'm also willing for it to get better every single year because I'm going to be open to learning more. That's awesome. That's a great point. Yes. As I'm sitting here reflecting back to my earliest years in my career, I think one of the biggest things I learned over time, I felt like I had to be more more assertive because I was young and I wanted to be taken seriously by these older men in authority. 
And so I was stepping into this very male energy and really assertive where, you know, once I got a little more confident with experience and was able to step back a little bit, it got so much better. You know, Mm -hmm. you can you can be yourself and relate to people without being, you know, what you think an assertive Mm -hmm. male boss might be. That was probably one of the biggest things. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. an immediate aha. It just kind of happened over time. I kind of relaxed into management and how I was able to work with peers and higher ups with a little more confidence without pushing on the authority, which is what I'm hearing you say. You can be Mm -hmm. confident without, you know, stepping on their toes and rubbing their nose in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the line that we have to walk, right? Is that you can be assertive and confident and not come across as, you know, like, you know, everything and that you're unwilling to be flexible and cooperative and collegial. Because those qualities are really important too. And quite often, you know, those are part of the reason that we get hired in these positions and why a lot of these fields are dominated by women is because counseling is a very nurturing profession Mm -hmm. and women are often seen as being more nurturing in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with teaching. Teaching is a nurturing profession and women, again, are often seen as being more nurturing in that way. And so... We're getting hired for those qualities, but then we're afraid to show those qualities in a professional environment because those other roles that are dominated by men, they don't necessarily offer opportunity for us to feel that those roles take up the same amount of space or have the same value as those assertive and really kind of firm qualities that we see as being in the power positions. Yeah, those personality styles. Mm-hmm. And yet, It is, I would say, some of the male administrators that I've been the most impressed with are the Mm -hmm. ones who are easier to relate and, Mm -hmm. you know, have that nurturing style. Mm -hmm. It's important for men Mm -hmm. as well as women to have that more feminine energy as well as being able to make decisions and be assertive if they need to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Makes for the best male and female leaders Mm -hmm. and and work associates. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. I think I could just keep going, Kim. Thank you for your time. Is there, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Have we missed anything that you would like young woman listening to this to, to know to kind of buoy their mission forward and their path in the professional world? I think just that... There's going to be hard times. There's going to be times when you feel like it's an uphill battle and that there are people who aren't there to support you and people who don't want to see you succeed. But for every one person who is that way, there's going to be a dozen who do want to see you succeed and who do value what you have to offer. And we can sometimes be so overshadowed by that one negative energy that we're getting that we don't stop to see all of these other positive ones. And I know that I fall victim to that really easily. And I have to keep reminding myself that I do have really amazing people in my corner as well. And I think that's just what we have to keep reminding ourselves of is that if you remind yourself that you have these incredible people who want to see you succeed, who love you and are going to support you, then just keep going. Just keep pushing past that negativity. And the more that you do it 
you know, without trying to be confrontational about it. And the more that you do it just because you know that it's right, then the less confrontation there can be. And it can help you kind of shed some of that and feel quite so boxed in those spaces because what you have to say and what you have to do is really valuable. And some people don't want to see that, but there's a lot who do. Absolutely is. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was just thinking as that last question came out of my mouth, I wonder how mentors played in your career path because it is really helpful if Mm -hmm. there is the possibility to find those mentors, even if they're not in your current workspace, Mm -hmm. um, they could be other career women in your Mm -hmm. area. Find those mentors Mm -hmm. to or a mentor to bounce things off of it. It isn't necessarily, you know, a good fit for your mother or best friend. Mm -hmm. Someone who has maybe walked that path can be Mm -hmm. just hugely helpful to navigate through it, Mm -hmm. especially when things get dicey, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I still keep in touch with my supervisor from when I did my counseling practicum because she was just an absolute rock star. And like, I just want to be her when I grow up and think she's amazing. And like you said, you know, having even just that one person who you can call and say, this is what's going on. How do I approach it? What do I do next? And have them listen to you and just be this support who sees the value that you have is absolutely invaluable. It's the best thing that you can do to feel like you can persevere through it. Yeah. Get somebody in your corner for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for your time today, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And everyone, thank you for tuning in today. We will talk to you soon. If you're like most women, you have a big dream on your heart and really want to make a positive impact in the lives of others. But self-doubt, fear, or other limiting beliefs often get in your way. What many women don't realize is that the one thing that can catapult them forward is deepening their self-love and self-esteem. So I have a free ebook for you that's really going to help you in this area. It's called 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love, and you can download it at the link in our show notes. Enjoy.